with coming up COVID as well, the sector and, and other organisations were in a bit of a war for talent again. So now more than ever, we need to be looking at our internal talent and thinking how we can engage them and keep them in the organisation. I think going for an internal promotion requires a huge leap of faith. I don't think it's because people aren't interested in people's career aspirations, but I think managers can struggle to have those conversations. So I think if you're looking for an internal promotion, you really need to take a leap of faith and be very clear with your employer about what it is that you would like to do and what support are they going to give you to get there. Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children, which leads to gender inequality and the same stale, mostly male, middle-class people leading our organizations. We need to change this. And in fact, my hope is that many of you listening now to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible, where you make decisions that make our world a better place for next generations and especially for the next generation of parents. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. If you want support from brilliant like-minded peers, join events or find out our world-class career development program, the Leaders Plus Fellowship Program, then sign up to our monthly newsletter on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. By 3rd of October, you can apply for our fellowship for ambitious working parents in the NHS. It's our first sector-specific fellowship program and also will open applications in 2023 for our cross-sector fellowship to support working parents who are ambitious in their careers. Today's podcast guest is Nadia Bunyan, who is an HR director at Global Witness. We talk about getting promotions internally, choosing your employer wisely, and international travel for work with children in tow. Enjoy the conversation. A very warm welcome, Nadia, to the podcast. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself, your family, and what you do for work? Oh, thanks, Karina, for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation all day. My name is Nadia Bunyan. I'm the HR director at an organisation called Global Witness, which is a not-for-profit. And our mission is to end the climate emergency. We have 90 employees based in offices in London, Washington, Brussels and China. And I work full time there. Great. And who is in your family? My wonderful husband, Nigel. And my equally wonderful son, who's 12, and he's called Jan. Amazing. And can you share with us one thing you used to assume about combining big careers with small children that you don't assume anymore? I mean, that's a really, really good question. I mean, I never thought it was going to be easy to combine being a parent and meeting my career aspirations. and. I actually deliberately came out of the private sector and went into the not-for-profit sector because I actually felt that that was a more welcoming place for working parents. 
So I had huge anxieties about returning to the workplace after maternity leave. And I think I made a common mistake of immediately trying to prove that I was the same person with the same responsibilities, i.e. none, before I went off on maternity leave. And I think the biggest thing that I've sort of learned really is actually to ask for help. So that's the biggest sort of difference for me. I I mean, it's still very much a work in progress, asking for help, but that's the one thing that I've absolutely changed my mind about since becoming a parent is that in order to you know enjoy work, manage everything, then you do need to ask for help. And asking for help is not seen as a weakness. Whereas I think before having children, I very much saw that as a weakness. Interesting. And do you think that's you who saw it as a weakness or is it people around you? I think I think there's two things there, actually. I think that there's something in me about being a bit of a perfectionist. So, you know, asking for help is seen as a weakness. But I think in the environments that I'd worked in prior to having children, there was lots of judgment made about people with children and that they were somehow not as good workers as those of us that didn't have children. So I think I carried that baggage. And so, you know, that combined with maybe sort of my own streak of rather unhelpful perfectionism, it's one of the things that definitely for me has really changed since having children and still being at work. Interesting that you spoke about the environment and how you're now in a very different environment from before. And it's also interesting what you said about charities. You obviously have more experience with charities than I, but there are some charities where it's not as great as a global witness with supporting working parents. So do you have any tips for anyone who is maybe in a job application process and wants to choose the organization wisely? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, my first experience in sort of the charity sector, and again, I think this is quite maybe not conscious, but My first not-for-profit job was in Bernardo's, which, of course, is a children's and young people's charity. So I have to say I didn't know anything about the not-for-profit sector. I, I went from professional services to a children's charity. But I thought, oh my gosh, you know, if they're a children's charity, they must be absolutely great for working parents. And they were. I was surrounded by working parents. And it was like being in a great big comfort blanket. You know, you'd had a bad night. You could guarantee that there were five other working parents who had had a bad night. And it really gave me an insight into, yeah, supportive environments. And, you know, I was sort of completely bowled over by the flexibility that people had. I don't think I'd met a part-time person. That's terrible, isn't it? Until I went to work at Bernardo's. So, yeah, I mean, you know, definitely in terms of sort of advice for people is do your homework see if they've got any of their policies on their website also look at them where they're advertising so you know for example working mums if a company's advertising on working mums then you know they're pretty committed to flexible working so that would be my advice I mean where I am now in my first week The previous CEO said to me, someone doing your role has got to be in the office five days a week. 
And I suppose I took that as a challenge to disrupt the environment. And I completely recognised my privilege and my role at, at being able to sort of not take that as an instruction to comply with, but one to spend my job trying to change. So I think going back to your question about how can you find that organisation, you do need to do a bit of research. I mean, again, websites like Glassdoor are quite useful, you know, because organisations are very good at how they want to present themselves to the world. You do need to do a bit of digging before you get there. You know, a not-for-profit does not equal inclusive, family-friendly. You know, there's still many not-for-profits that are on that journey. Mm. Coming back to your own journey then. So you're obviously, your son is reasonably grown up. Well, to me anyways, my eldest is six. So to me, your your eldest is, you know, already twice the age. What's been the most challenging moment of combining an ambitious career with young children for you? And is there anything you've taken or learned from it? I think my answer might resonate with lots of people, but guilt, you know, that guilt of never really feeling you're doing your best at anything you know so you're not smashing parenting but you feel you're not smashing the workplace either and it's not like you've got people telling you that that is all you know for me that was all me putting that pressure on myself and you know one thing that I actually you know I remember at Bernardo's which is another example of why it's quite supportive returning from maternity leave is, is someone actually told me to slow down I've never had someone say that to me in the workplace before. So I was like, oh, gosh, this is an unusual concept. Slow down. They're like, you've just come back from maternity leave. You know, it's massive life change. We do not expect you to have got everything sorted yet. And I was like, oh, gosh, this is great. This is a really nice feeling. I may not have paid as much attention to it as I should have done. But again, you know, that wasn't because of the environment I was in. That was, you know, my own personal mission to prove that having children does not impact your ability to have a really fulfilling career either. So I think what I've learned over the years is about boundaries and setting boundaries and, you know, and just being really okay with feeling guilty and knowing that you've got a lot to do and you've got a lot to do and making time for yourself. Because if you have that, it will make you your better partner or it made me a better partner. I don't like to speak for other people. It made me a better partner. It made me a better mother. And it made me, you know, a better workplace colleague. Because you have less time to invest in work. I actually think I was better at it because I was far more focused, far more driven about what I wanted to achieve. And yeah, probably didn't spend as much time on things that I really didn't need to spend much time on or taking on more work I mean that's all sort of like very much my sort of personal journey and I know it's super different from everyone else but I think when I became comfortable and it was only me that could make myself feel comfortable I think that was one of my biggest reflections even if I you know have massive support around me a supportive employer at the time it was the boundaries it was being able to put my phone in a drawer at the end of the day or at the weekend and not pick it up until Monday and my own experience has meant that I'm super super aware of 
other people's experiences and how I want them to feel in the workplace. You know, I never say to someone, you know, you don't have to prove yourself coming back from maternity leave because we all come back from maternity leave with our own sort of goals, ambitions, what we want to do. But I like to think that behind the scenes, I've been able to help people make that transition, even if it's not that obvious that I'm helping them. And that's Mm. through my own experience. Mm, Brilliant. And you did get to a very senior role. Sadly, many people who have caring responsibilities don't. Is there something that, in hindsight, any decisions that you made that really enabled you to get to where you are now? I mean, this is quite sad, actually, in that I made a conscious decision to change sectors. I really don't think I'd be where I am if I was still working in previous environments I've worked in. because whilst there has been massive change in workplaces in the last 12 years, you know, if I think since I've had Yang, I think the organisations that I'd worked in, that I was working in, weren't on that journey. They were still grappling with, you know, having women as increasing the gender balance in partners. They hadn't even sort of got on to working parents at a time when I was ready to be a parent so you know looking back now it's really great that these organizations realize that it's so essential to attract and retain talent but I think for me sadly at the time the private sector was not a place where I had been able to progress my career as quickly as I was able to moving to the not-for-profit sector I don't regret it though you know, I've, I found my home, I found my sector, you know, it's not a sector that I've worked in lots of sectors, you see, it's not a sector I'm planning on leaving, but I could see for me, and who I am, that wouldn't have been the right environment for me. It sounds like it was a picture book, bad environment for working parents. And sadly, some employers like that still exist, very few, but they do still exist. Yeah, It's interesting, though, that you were in an environment where you made a conscious decision, actually, they're just too far behind. It's not worth trying to change it right now in your situation. And then you got into another environment where you still, you did a bit of fighting. I mean, you did a bit of positively convincing people and driving change. What's your rule, your inner rule of when to fight to change an environment and when to leave? I think I made the decision to fight on this one because I was in that place in my career where I felt pretty confident that if it didn't work out I could walk into another job tomorrow and that's come from years of growth and feeling confident in your ability. The organisation I'm at now which is the one where I had that unfortunate conversation my son was five at that point So I had gained some confidence around work-life balance and I'd also seen it done really well. And that does help with your convictions that organisations are capable of change. But I definitely saw it as a challenge. And there was other things as well. You know, it's like I'd come from an environment where I was surrounded by working parents to walking into an environment where there were very few. And I thought, that's not right. You know, there's loads of working parents. Where have they all gone? 
and the gender balance, it was more male than female. And I just felt this was a really good place where I could share my experience and, yeah, try and create a better working environment. And I'm still there seven years later. It's not the same CEO. And we have more women in leadership positions than we have men. We have, you know, so much, so many different working patterns that actually the HR team are constantly complaining because it's so difficult to work out annual leave in hours. So, you know, I mean, if that's not a measure of success, I don't know what is. If you know, HR team like, got so many part-time people, it's really tricky. We've removed the statutory limit for requesting flexible working. So you can request flexible working from day one. And actually, it's not just working parents that work flexibly. It's people that don't have any caring responsibilities are working flexibly. So that's sort of, you know, just from that one comment from the previous CEO, it did make me very driven. And I think it's a completely different organisation from that perspective. Well done from what sounds like you've led a real transformation effort. Is there something about you driving change in that environment? Basically, it sounds like you were able to do it because you knew you could walk away and when you would walk away. And it's so interesting that, in a way, that option made you almost more committed to change and you clearly achieved really good results. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's spot on, Verena. I think also if you're, because it was so early on in my time with the organisation, I wasn't at that level of commitment and engagement with the organisation either. You know, in a way, it was really timely to have that conversation with someone before, you know, if you've been around for so much longer, you know, I think the stakes are higher. So whilst it was very clumsy comment, whilst, you know, I sort of never really expected to hear a comment like that in the not-for-profit sector, or maybe because I'd come from such a sort of caring, comfort blanket environment. But, you know, it was good that it happened early on, I think. But I do absolutely recognise the position that I was in, you know, sort of to some extent responsible for driving policy and culture. It may not have been as easy for someone else. Mm. I felt a bit angry as well, if I'm being really honest. <laughs> yeah, and that's not a bad emotion, isn't it? It makes you make stuff happen sometimes. So you're obviously sitting quite often in a closed room with other HR directors, I imagine, doing networking and training and all those sorts of things. I'm interested, how is the hiring decision-making for very senior roles different from hiring for more junior roles? Is there a difference? And you know the reason I'm asking is because I want more of our listeners to get to those senior roles so we have gender equality. I mean, that is a really good question because I have sat on a lot of recruitment panels for all sorts of level roles over the years. I think to some extent, the process is the same. And this is in the industries I've worked in. I know other industries have maybe slightly different hiring practices. But in the industries I've worked in, the recruitment panel, it's competency-based question. Someone meets all the requirements, they get the job. I mean, I've been fortunate enough never to have been sat on an interview panel where someone has openly asked a question about someone's future 
family plans or but have I heard people make assumptions about people absolutely but I have to say not recently now I may have been very very fortunate so from my perspective I don't think there is as much difference in hiring for more senior roles and there is hiring for more junior roles in the organisations that I've come from, but I would hate to generalise. That's a good thing, I guess, because then you don't need to be too scared of going for that more senior role because the process may be quite similar. And something I notice is that at times people are a little bit unsure about how to progress their careers internally. And then the first thing is they obviously look at the job boards outside and they say, oh, this job title sounds interesting. And they become very excited about things outside. What's your reflection on this as an HR director? How do you progress a career internally? Another brilliant question for a number of reasons. Is that with coming up COVID as well, the sector and, and other organisations, we're in a bit of a war for talent again. So now more than ever, we need to be looking at our internal talent and thinking how we can engage them and keep them in the organisation. I think going for an internal promotion requires a huge leap of faith. I don't think it's because people aren't interested in people's career aspirations, but I think managers can struggle to have those conversations. So I think if you're looking for an internal promotion, you really need to take a leap of faith and be very clear with your employer about what it is that you would like to do and what support are they going to give you to get there. I mean, that comes with all sorts of other challenges around making sure that you sort of don't overcommit, burn yourself out, suddenly on a mission to prove yourself that you're the worthy person. And I think employers in the current environment may be more open to it. I know we certainly are at the moment in someone saying, how can I progress here? Yeah, so that would be my perspective on, on that one. It sounds like good advice in theory, but I'm just practically, I'm sure lots of people hear that and say it might cringe inside about this step of saying to their employers that they want to progress. And obviously the whole fellowship program is about it's one of the things we work through. But what's your advice there? Who should they talk to practically? What should they say? I will talk from my own experience and I will talk from my own experience of giving advice to others. If you're thinking it's it's time for that next step up and you think, you know, somehow you're not going to be recognised as the person to step in someone's shoes and that's either because your line manager has never asked you what your career aspirations are. I've always found talking to people externally really, really helps. You know, in every organisation I've been in, regardless of from probably middle manager onwards, I've always found myself a mentor. You know, they can actually be super helpful in helping you prepare to have that conversation because it's a risk when you have that conversation because, you know, your line manager might pull a face and then, you know, not maybe consciously, but it sends so many messages. Now, there is also, I think, and this is where organisations could get much better, there is a massive role for organisations to play so people don't actually have to have that conversation. So it's providing more opportunities for people to learn and grow, having 
programs externally that you can send people to, which is like, look, we're recognized. You may not have told us you want to progress, but we're recognizing your potential or actually you've got a choice to apply for this program. But if I could change one thing, Marina, which I probably could, or it's within my gift, is that I would equip line managers to have that conversation because, you know, your line manager can be your biggest advocate, or they should, I think they should be your biggest advocate, actually. And line managers often struggle to have those conversations because they can take it personally or, you know, maybe a not quite so well-balanced line manager might then view this person as competition. So the organisation can remove some of that by making sure that there's opportunities in place. And obviously this is, you know, to do that much easier in a large organisation or in organisations where there is very clear pathways. So coming from professional services, it's all about, for lots of people, it's about that pathway to partner. But working in a small organisation, it does require some more creativity. I think that's really helpful. And is there a common mistake people make that you see, which you would just wish they would not make because it hinders their progression and their fulfilment at work? Yeah, I mean, I, I think where I tend to see common mistakes is it's actually in the interview room when people are going for an internal promotion. And my advice would be always treat it as if you're meeting the panel for the first time. We know in reality, you're absolutely not meeting them for the first time, but there will be other candidates who perhaps are meeting people for the first time. So act like one of those candidates. And what I have seen a lot is, particularly women, is really undersell their contribution to an organisation. And because there's a sort of sense of, well, I can't come in and be a bit sort of, you know, maybe a bit boastful or exaggerate and it's not even that we're asking people to do that we're asking you know it's like I just I can be sat there and thinking but you've done this and you've done this tell me about this so I think that there is that barrier when you're going for an internal promotion and again that's how internal promotions tend to work in where I am currently you know I know in other organizations gosh it's a it's, a, it's an industry I've worked in one organisation where I um, had to design a process to assess if someone was going to go for promotion. And actually, the individual themselves didn't participate in the, in the discussion at all. So, you know, that was the group of people sitting around and talking about um, someone else. But yeah, I think you're going, as is quite typical, actually, in the, in the not-for-profit sector, very keen not to just sort of give people promotions to do it fairly and well, is to turn up at the panel as if you've never met them before, never undersell yourself, put in your pocket the imposter syndrome and just be super authentic and super honest. And I have sat on a lot of recruitment panels and... I have never, to this day, met a candidate that had every skill, experience and qualification for a post. I don't think it's possible. If you look at job descriptions today, that person, I don't think those sort of people exist. So again, it's like being very open about where you think your gaps are, because there is no way there is going to be a candidate that you're competing against that also doesn't have gaps and growth. That is so refreshing to hear, actually. I'm sure a lot of people will not expect that. So thank you for sharing that. 
I wanted to ask you about international travel as well, because your organization is international. Do you have any reflections of what works or what has worked for you with combining your family's needs and the need and want to travel? I mean, I have to say that, you know, just thinking about this, this is still a challenge for me that I don't think I've really got right. As an individual, if I need to travel abroad, it's like I need to get the whole street involved and my parents. And, you know, and I'm very lucky to have that support. What we do say, though, in the organisation that I work in, because it's not just travelling to a, another office, there's travel to high-risk places, there's long periods away from home, is that our working parents set the tone for how they want to make their particular project work. Because actually, for some people, they might want to go to a particular country for two weeks, and the organisation will say, that's great, because actually that's only one flight. You know, we're trying not to put people in the air the whole time because of the climate. But if a working parent said to us, look, this is going to take me two months to go and interview, to go into these communities, and actually I'm going to have to break it down into four journeys, we would be really supportive of that. Because otherwise, do this sort of job, as soon as you had a child, there would be a mass exodus of people out of the sector. Now, there have been, in this sector in particular, that once you're a parent, you might not want to travel to high-risk places. But for us at Global Witness, we've allowed parents to set the tone because otherwise, if you don't, it shrinks our talent pool and we would have lost or we used so much periods. So, yeah, there's sort of two dynamics of, of international travel in our organisation. You know, Equally, if people want to take their parents or a partner with them on a trip, we're happy for them to do that, build for the hotel room, because it doesn't really cost us anything more to have three people in a hotel room versus one person in a hotel room. I had a delightful trip to DC recently with my colleague in Director of Comms and spent the entire week. We were in the office together in the day and then in the evenings I'd hang out with her, her husband and her two-year-old. So personally, I find it quite difficult to travel internationally. I do it, so I don't think I've cracked that work-life balance. But I think the organisation has realises that to meet what we need to do as an organisation, we need to be far more flexible. And obviously, COVID did tell us that international travel wasn't quite as important as perhaps it was prior to the pandemic. So I think increasingly, people that don't want to travel for whatever reasons, we now have tried and tested methods for still being able to deliver impact without actually being in country. Interesting. Thank you for sharing. We are coming to the end of this, and I wanted to ask you to share three practical things that someone who wants to be internally promoted but has young kids could do to increase their chances of getting promoted but also of getting promoted in a way that works well with their family. Find yourself, your network internally or externally. Sometimes being a working parent 
can be really lonely. So, you know, go and find people in your organisation who you can share perspectives with, you can get advice from, and also it makes you feel less alone and gives you some confidence. Get a mentor. You really can. And it's actually quite easy to find a mentor because, you know, for me, part of career progression and what I always look for as an HR director when I'm interviewing people is how they've diversified perspective, you know, how they've taken on different viewpoints, different world views, and that's made them who they are as as an individual and what they can bring to an organisation. And I think that really comes from mentoring. It comes from networks. And I know it's really difficult, but try not to be worried about asking for what you want. And if you see a promotion coming up, don't start working longer hours. Don't start putting your hand up for everything. It's not sustainable. And also, it's not setting the boundaries because you can't can't do that forever. And I think that is sort of myth we need to dismantle a bit about promoting is that you've sort of got to prove yourself over and over and over again before you get promoted. For me, the key, in a way, is about expectations between an individual and the employer. You start working 14 hours a day, that's what someone thinks they might get from you in the future, and then it's difficult to roll back from. So, yeah, create the boundaries from the start. Now, we could have a huge debate about people that can put in 14-hour days on a long period, and are they more successful in terms of, of getting promotions? If I was sat on a recruitment panel, it, that wouldn't look great for me. I'm looking, actually, I think managing a work-life balance is far harder than just working 14 hours a day at a job. So I think those skills are much more transferable. Fantastic. That's excellent advice. Thank you so much, Nalia. It was lovely to talk. Thank you, Verena, and thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's conversation, you might also like episode 22, where I talked to Paul Fisher, who is an absolute expert in negotiation, and he teaches at Oxford University about how to negotiate pay rise and flexible working. If this work has been helpful to you in any way and you'd like to get more insights and new ideas, then please do join our newsletter for practical tips and insight by visiting leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. And if you are someone who believes in our mission and is keen to support others, then I'd absolutely love for you to get more involved in our community. A practical way is by going on our website, leadersplus.org.uk, and there you can see an overview of upcoming events And if you're very senior, you're also very warmly invited to apply to become a senior leader mentor to one of our fellows. If you are a parent with kids between the ages of zero and 11, definitely consider applying to our award-winning fellowship program. In addition to our cross-sector fellowship, we're also launching a version this autumn for parents in the NHS who want to progress their careers further. During the fellowship, you get access to inspirational role models who have experience of bringing up kids whilst progressing their career. You'll get support for practical challenges, for example, workload management or saying no, and we'll support you in small groups to develop your vision for your career and family life and make a plan for that supported by others. And it's all research-based, so 
we'll share with you some research on what causes career progression and give you some support to implement this practically in the content of looking after young children. Plus there's lots of other fun stuff, for example, sessions with your partner, should you happen to have one, about how you can both support each other to work towards an ambitious career together. If finance is a barrier, please don't let it be. There are hardship fund spaces available for those who are financially in challenging circumstances. And also we've got stuff on the website about how to ask your employer for funding. And of course, for those in medicine, if you work in emergency medicine, we have a partnership with the Royal College of Emergency Medicine who are generously part sponsoring some of the places on the programme. The application deadline for the Open Fellowship will be in early 2023. If you are working for the NHS and would like to be considered for the Leaders Plus Fellowship for the NHS, then you can register on leadersplus.uk forward slash chess fellowship. The application deadline for that one is on the 3rd of October. See you next week and thank you for listening.